episode 252 of Global From Asia on Becoming an Expat. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Good day, good evening. Hello, everyone. It's always fun to hear from listeners in random places, and it's the May holiday, and I've been getting some messages. People enjoy the show. It's kind of always strange to know if people are actually tuning in or not. We are uh, all over the internet on various channels in China, and Rico helped us get into... I'm forgetting even the other channels, honestly. I'm just getting old. I'm just playing with my kids and working on online, but... We are here, and this show will go online in a few days. We will we'll publish on the 7th of May, so the May 1st holiday will have just finished in China. It's one of these long labor days, so hopefully get some manufacturing orders in for us here, and things are, uh, things are okay. We have a cool show talking about expat life, and uh, I'll stick my 10 minutes blah, blah, blah after... Mikkel's awesome interview and he tells his story. I'll share a little bit of my expat story. I will uh, give some insights. I feel like I've talked about some of this in other shows, but if you guys like listening, I like talking. Blah, 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 like my kids say. But there's a lot of things happening. I've been actually really excited to bring Cross Border Summit back, our fourth annual first time in Guangzhou China it's a little bit hard to leave China I mean we got a lot of roots there a lot of networking there Mark Ramos will be helping us out on the ground making uh making some talks with Chris Davey and Cindy Juju at FBA for you and they always are so supportive they had an amazing couple of FBA for you meetups this past Canton Fair trade show season so stay tuned for the cross-border summit in 2019. Mark the calendar, October 22nd and 23rd. Might even stick a day or two after. We're thinking about just some more workshops and boot camp style intensive training for those that want even more. I, I, I want to talk more about expat life. But I want to get into the show. We'll keep the intros here a little bit pre-talk before the interview shorter and I'll stick a little bit more time after Let's just dive into the show. Let's tune in. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, GoRemit.hk. They're our long-term sponsor here at the Global From Asia show. I just use them to make a payment to my team in the Philippines and also a supplier in Ningbo, China. Actually, we will do an interview with some of our trading activity in Ningbo soon. If you do make payments in Asia from your Hong Kong bank, you want to save in some fees and make them fast and easy, check out GoRemit.hk. Completely free to sign up. No transaction fees, only on the FX rates at a very fair price. If you like the show and you want to let them know, definitely tell them Global From Asia sent you. You'll sign up for free, go through a KYC process to get verified, and you'll be able to make your cross-border payments like I do. Thanks again, GoRemit.hk. Thank you, everybody, for tuning to another Global From Asia podcast. We are talking expat. We got an expat veteran, 20, 20 plus years in the industry, and a friend and fellow podcaster, Mikhail Thorup. Thank you for being here on the show today. 
Thanks very much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I mean, I had a pleasure to go on your show, and I'm glad I finally have the chance to get you on. You're the number one best-selling author of Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money, Cash Money. And you also host, as I mentioned, the podcast, The Expat Money Show, which is, of course, on iTunes and Stitcher. And over, you've lived, as we just said before recording, what, how many countries have you based in now? So I've lived in seven countries. We're about to make the move to our eighth country, but that's actually living as an expat. Sure. But I've traveled to, I think, at last count, like 102 or 104 countries, something awesome. around there, around 100, 100 plus countries. And I, yeah, I see in our, like, our outline here, North Korea, Zimbabwe, El Salvador, Iran. I, that's a pretty wild places. Oh, I like all random countries. I like all the countries that people don't get a chance to normally visit, you know, and, and then go in there and make my own mind up about the place. Because a lot of times people will have really bad uh, ideas about a country and it comes from, you know, mainstream media or the government, neither of which I'm a, a very big fan of. But, um, you know, I like to make my own decisions on these types of things. Like Iran was one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to in my life. And, and if you watch mainstream media, they'll tell you it is the axis of evil and, mm-hmm. and all these things. And, and actually, it's a stunning, beautiful country with very lovely people. And, and I guess we'll make a, we can get into it later on, but you know, always try to make a separation between the government and the people. You know, the government is one thing, the, the populace is something else, yeah. especially in some of these types of countries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Um... Actually, we, we put this show on to Chinese uh, podcasts as well. And literally, like yesterday, we're publishing a recent episode. And uh, my wife helps with that. She's, we both have Chinese wives too, which is pretty cool. And she, uh, they kept deleting our podcast. I don't know. I think it was some keyword they didn't like. But, uh, you know, what I mean is uh, people and the countries are, you know, the government or the peop- the ruling body of a country and a people are, are totally separate like just reiterating what you said and you know i think a lot of times people that don't travel like you or i don't realize that and they just listen to the media and t- mass tv especially in one country which i'm not a conspiracy person but i think you know media is especially mass media maybe not your podcast or my podcast but you know mainstream media i think is somewhat influenced probably by that uh, that country's uh, governing body right (laughs) that kind of well absolutely because you know i think that's just why so it's so important for podcasts like yours and mine to actually exist because this is what gives you the alternative um like i don't think that's conspiracy theory by any means to understand that mainstream media is controlled by the government you have lobbyists and you have people that that do favors and this is crony capitalism now i am a true blue capitalist and i and i'm pro-business and everything like this but i don't I don't believe in, you know, behind closed doors, you know, type of deals that that keep other people out of the market. I'm a free market enterprise type of person. I'm, I believe in Austrian School of Economics and and the, the capitalism that we have in a lot of places in the world today is, is pretty despicable. Mm-hmm. Um, still, I'll take that over socialism any day of the week. I think socialism and communism and and offshoots of this are some of the most evil things on planet earth. But, um, 
yeah, libertarianism is really where I live, I suppose. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, I think that's probably uh, from your 20 years over, you know, living overseas as an expat. So which kind of leads into our kind of core question. First question off the bat is what, you know, we use this word expat and uh, sometimes we don't maybe even know. Let's just make sure what what's the true definition of expat in your in your uh, way. Okay, so when I use the word expat, it's it's literally just a a short form of expatriate. So someone who has left their country of birth to live and work overseas. Now, I suppose the difference between an expat and an immigrant is an immigrant is actually moving their entire life to a new country, and they plan on never going back. They they've They've now set up a house, a home, um, a life, and, and that is it. Maybe they'll spend the rest of their life in that one place. Now, I've been an expat in seven different countries. And every time that I come to a country, I know that it's temporary. Now, temporary might be one year, like in the case when I lived in New Zealand, or it might be eight years, like um, living in the UAE. I live in Abu Dhabi currently, and you know, I've been here since 2011. And in both cases, I'm an expat. I'll never be a citizen of the UAE. I could live here for 80 years and I'll never be a citizen. They just, it's not an option available to me. Um, but there's a lot of people, for some reason, they have this racist perspective of expat. They think it's something that only white people do. Mm. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not the case. It is not true whatsoever. You know, here in the UAE, as an example, um, something like 90% of the workforce are expats and 80% of the population. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're from India or Pakistan or Afghanistan or from Canada, the United States or Great Britain. In this country, all, you're always considered an expat. And we really run this entire country. You know, the country would come to a grinding halt if there were no expats here. And we do a lot of jobs that the local people will not want to do, will not have the skills to do, will not have the education or the expertise to do. Um, and we really help this entire country thrive. And Mike, I don't have any like exact statistics in front of me, but I can definitely tell you that in a place like uh, the UAE or Oman or Kuwait, Qatar, any of these places that, you know, the country wouldn't run without the expats and and there's no way around um, doing things without our expertise. Um, I'd say these are the largest expat communities in the world. Um, I've, I've visited many other expat communities, but I'd say these are definitely the largest. Yeah, I still have to get over there. I, I've heard amazing things. I, I, I went to college in New Jersey, you know, Stevens Tech, and I had some uh, friends from uh, Kuwait and different parts of the Middle East, and they, one even invited me for a business opportunity. I don't think I ever to come out to Kuwait, and uh, almost almost did it. To be honest, I haven't really shared too much. I, it was very early stage. I didn't didn't make that move, but uh, he was just trying. Kuwait's to say, a beautiful country. It's a little bit slow. There's uh, it's a completely dry country, so there's no alcohol there whatsoever. It was funny actually when I flew in there. I think we had some bottles of water or something because most countries here in the GCC, you can't um, drink the, the water just out of the tap. Mm. It's all desalinated water. So mostly we drink bottled water here. And they actually like, made us open the bottles and take a big swig from them just to make sure that it wasn't alcohol, you know, and then they smelling it and <laughs> like, no, no, it's just water. 
but they were very particular when we came in. But it's wow. a beautiful country. They have a beautiful grand mosque um, uh, in Kuwait City. And there's the old part of the city. And yeah, it was a nice experience. I just went over for, I think, four days or something to just have a peek around and take a look, you know. Exciting. Yeah, I, I'm a little envious, but uh, there's definitely lots of amazing places. And that's kind of the benefit of, uh, of being, in, you know, an expat. And so some of your your stories, how did, you know, it's been 20 years now uh, as an expat. How did it, how did it get started? So... <sighs> It's for my story, it kind of goes like really back in time. Like a lot of people, you know, they have this nine to five job and, and they're unhappy with their life and they decide to sell everything and move overseas. That is not me whatsoever. So what happened with me is a little bit different. I, um, I was actually diagnosed with a learning disability as a child. And at, I think, I don't know how old I was exactly, but I was, I was in grade three. They, they diagnosed me and and they said, okay, well, we need to send him to a special school to learn how to read, write, and spell because he's not keeping up and, and all of these types of things. So mm-hmm. they put me in a little white bus and they drove me across town and they sent me to a special school. But the only problem, Mike, was it was actually not a special school. It was actually a special class in a regular school. So you can imagine all these kids... Um, looking at me and, and gossiping and talking behind my back. And, you know, apparently I'm part of the, the retard school, the retard class, you know, mm. 1980s. Imagine yeah. totally politically correct. I know. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> so I ended up getting in a lot of fights when I was a kid. Um, basically every single day I would, I would get in some type of an altercation or fist fight. I had my nose broken three times. I had my tooth put through my lip. I had my teeth knocked out, concussion. I was in the hospital a couple of times. And it was a rough time, all of grades four, five, and six. And I thought when I finally got to leave this school and I was going back to my own uh, neighborhood school, back with all the kids that I had grown up with earlier, I thought everything is going to be better, Mike. I thought this is, you know, finally I'm, I'm not going to be terrorized and I'm not going to get in these fights and, and everything is going to be okay. And I got back to my normal school and everyone started gossiping and whispering. Oh, where's he been? I remember him. He went to that retard school. Oh my God, there's something wrong with him. And of course, the fights and everything that just can, uh, continue, just a new group of kids to, to beat up and, and to get beat up by. Well, after two years of this, I had pretty much had enough. So at grade nine, around 12 years old, I just stopped going to school. I was like, this is, I don't like this, you know. Yeah. I'd come home from school crying almost every day for years on end. And, and I really felt like I didn't belong in my hometown, in my home, in my school, anything like this. And at 12, I stopped going to school. Um, by 15, I was officially, had, had officially dropped out. But by 12, I basically stopped going. You know, he, the, uh, the odd class here and there, but, you know, was failing everything and, uh, and didn't have a good time at all. And then not shortly after, I discovered traveling. I had never really been overseas. Uh, you know, we drove across. I'm, I'm from southwestern Ontario, so we would drive over to Detroit or something like that, um, you know, which is a couple hours from the border. But, uh, but that was it. 
And, uh, and I started traveling and I started meeting all these people from different countries and cultures and, and different experiences. And they didn't know my history and, and my problems with, you know, my learning disability, quote unquote. We just know now that it's just a form of dyslexia. It's actually quite common. It happens all the time. Um, you know, I have a very high IQ. I'm very intelligent, but these, there's certain problems with reading and writing that, uh, that I had a lot of trouble with as a kid. So I started traveling in my teens and, and really felt like I had found myself and, and what I was meant to do. And, you know, one trip led into another, led into another. I moved overseas. And, you know, like I said, it's been roughly 20 years now that I've been doing this and I've never stopped. Um, I'm not a, and we can get into this afterwards, I'm, I'm not a digital nomad. I'm not continually on the, on the road with a backpack. Although I have been on the road for extended periods of time with a backpack, um, these days I really, I do short trips, you know, a week here, a week there. I like my five-star hotels. Um, I have the money to do things like that now. But yeah, um, I live full-time in the Middle East and, uh, and I love my life. And, and I always help other people to, to make a change in their life and move overseas. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, uh, this is your life, Mikel Thorpe, I suppose. <laughs> nice. There we go. Thanks for opening up like that. It's pretty, uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, as a new father, I'm still, I get nervous, like, uh, have my, see my kid go to school and just afraid of like, yeah, like those kind of, hor- it's, children are just cruel people. I guess maybe it's just human nature without any, uh, not holding back kind of like i think as we get older we don't we just don't say those things and we think those things are the general but yeah like kids seem yeah, like there's no social kids, restraint when you're that yeah, age like, and you're learning you're, you're you learn how to be a human being from someone who doesn't know how to be an effective human being in society mm-hmm. so like we you know you have um two kids i i've got a little girl almost uh, like quite similar age as our kids we're gonna homeschool our kid you know like I, I want my child to learn how to be an effective, you know, loving, caring human being from adults who know how to show this behavior, opposed to other kids who pick on everything and, and, and find differences in everything. I still want her to have friends. I'm not, I'm not talking about non-socializing her. But I think when you take, you know, 30 kids or 35 kids and put them in a room, they become like pack animals, you know? It's, uh, you have to be really careful. Agreed. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's really, uh, I mean, as a parent, yeah, I think it's just so, s- s- yeah, I feel so responsible, but, and uh, we'll see. We'll just keep on uh, doing what we can to make the best for our children and try not to have them go through similar things. I, uh, I think, I think that a lot of the problems come down to being a government-run school. Um, I think with private schools, probably the experience will be a lot better. And I know for a lot of expat families, they only do private schools. Um, You know, where the curriculum is decided by people who don't have political agendas. You know, I know for sure when you look at the schooling in the United States, they like that type of behavior, that that alienating of of the child from the family, from the church, from from themselves, from their friends, from everybody. You know, start reading some of the work by John Taylor Gatto, and you really start to understand uh, how these types of schools are set up and, and what they 
were originally designed for. And, and they're doing a fantastic job of getting exactly what they want. And it, and it is not to be a loving, effective, and like I just, I will continue to repeat these phrases because it's so true, um, you know, an effective human being. That's, that's not what they want at all. They want consumers. They want someone who will go and do their nine to five job and then come home and watch television all night. And, and that's what they want. Um, they want something that they can control and is standardized. It is. I yeah. I feel similar because it's it's easier, right? You you put people into this this track, right? I think of the you know obviously the late Steve Steve Jobs has amazing so much amazing stuff uh, I've seen online, but one I I have in my mind is he says you know life you know they you can stay on this like race track right and just not bump against the walls and just follow follow the uh follow the pack of cars or people or sheep or whatever and yeah you can live your life and you know you'll you'll have a good life and you know you'll you know you'll you'll do fine or you could try to bang bang up against the wall you know go faster go a different way go off off the track you know um i'm saying it wrong but there's that's one and the other one is really crazy. I don't. I, you probably most. I forget the. I think it's a dead president that says it. But most people die at twenty five. We just don't put them in a box until they're seventy five. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's. It's. Uh, yeah. I think some people just kind of, in a way, give up, right, and just follow, follow the track that they're given, stay in that, they're comfortable nine to five and do what they need to do and, and get through life. Well, but- there are so many alternatives out there for how you can live your life. And you know what? As far as any of us can ever tell or, or be certain about, this is the only life we have to live. So it's like, if you're not happy with, you know, your job, your living conditions, where you live, you know, there are options out there and there are people who are already doing things like this. Um, you know, it's not that scary. It's really not that hard. Like I've traveled to a lot of places. I wouldn't say any of it is hard. Like I went to North Korea. That wasn't hard. That wasn't challenging. That wasn't difficult. I just did it. It was easy. You know, it was just my life. Like it's, I I wanted to see what it was like and I did it and I wanted to go to these other places. And so I did it. Um, You know, people think about, all these problems with safety and, and, you know, are they going to be okay? And is is someone going to get kidnapped and hurt and Mm -hmm. terrorism? And it's like, my God, first of all, you have to understand that inherently human beings are good. And it doesn't matter if you are a Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, um, brown, white, red, yellow, tall, short, fat, doesn't matter, male, female, gay, it doesn't matter. People are inherently good and, and they're not out there to get you. And, and you can explore the world and travel and live life on your terms and see what's going on and, and experience things. And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be scared. Um, you know, people will always help you. You don't speak the language. No problem. Pantomime, you know, <laughs> like remember those games like Pictionary and things yeah. like that, you know? Stuff like that, it actually works. You know, we have phones, we have apps for translation. Um, we have uh, maps that are on your phone and GPS that you can get in every country in the world. It's like when I started traveling 20 years ago, we didn't have anything. I was writing my father postcards and stuff yeah. to keep in communication. Like now it's so, it's like even easier. 
You know, there's no excuse for someone not getting out there and exploring the world. Totally agree. I mean, the couple of things that just came up, like I was, uh, as we, we've been keeping up in email a little bit, and I was down traveling in, in a little bit of more outskirts of Thailand, and I took a grab, which is amazing, you know, or well, grab or Uber, for those who don't know grab, it's like a similar one here in Southeast Asia. And literally, I was talking to my driver through Google Translate voice. She would say something in the into the real time translator. It would spit out English. I would say something, and it would spit out Thai to her. It was like unbelievable. You know, I it's really unbelievable. It's like the babble fish from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like yeah. things like this are actually starting to appear in real life now. It's amazing. Yeah. So you know, you your show. You've been interviewing people, really amazing guests, which people should definitely check out your show and. You know, what's the trend? I mean, how does somebody even start to plan? I know, you know, you said a lot of times people are just sick of their their nine to five or, uh, you know, what's the common way? I know you seem like you have a non pretty non-traditional way, but or what's what's a good way people you tell people to to get started or get get onto this track? Well, I think that straight off the bat, it comes down to a mental thing. Yeah. So first of all, people have to understand the numbers. And and this is what I would do when I was traveling in a lot of countries, especially through the third world countries. And I, w- I would think to myself, it's like, okay, so I'm in Guatemala and Guatemala costs me, say, 10 US dollars a day. So every day that I work back home, now, now let's put ourselves in when I was in my 20s and use Guatemala as an example. I was earning minimum wage when I started, you know? So I think minimum wage when I started was $6, but, but say it was $10 to make ease of numbers. So you can travel for an entire day for the cost of working one hour. So if you work an eight-hour day, you're going to get just over a week. So when you start to realize things like that, the price of goods, the price of services, things that you normally spend money on have a very different outlook. So instead of going and drinking a Starbucks coffee at $4, you know that that's going to buy you a three-course meal when you're abroad, or that's going to pay your entire youth hostel. And I'm using examples of, of when I was traveling in cheap, cheap countries, um, you know, and just traveling. But even three-star, four-star, five-star hotels can be a fraction of the price when you're going overseas. So I think that Understanding a lot of the numbers straight off the bat can make a big difference on how you put aside money uh, while you're saving up to go abroad. But I, I would say to live a decent life um, on the road, you know, somewhere around that thousand to two thousand dollars a month mark is is quite reasonable. And I mean, you would be doing anything and everything that you could ever imagine for that type of money. Like I was. When I was in Central America, I was going scuba diving every day. I did over 130 dives in maybe 10 or 12 different countries. Um, we were eating fantastic food. We were staying in beautiful places. We were hiking, going to museums, drinking coffees. And I mean, this is peanuts. You know, this was pennies on the dollar from what I would pay in um, Toronto or somewhere like that to live. So I think under th- understanding things like this straight off the bat can really give you some motivation because. Um, a lot of people will think one day, you know, this, this one day I will do this, one day I will do an around the world trip or, or travel overseas or move overseas. But you actually have to make the decision to do it, you know, on a set date. Okay, um, in 10 months from now, in six months from now, on March 21st or 
whatever type of date, set that for yourself and then start saving and then just live beyond be below your means and start putting money aside. I think yeah. these are like the really, 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 really simple things that just anybody can do. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, yeah, we're almost on the same page. I'm a believer of, you know, starting now and kind of optimizing as you go rather than make, I think, of course, those people that are the perfectionists that think that there's one day everything in their life is going to line up and they're going to have perfect amount of money, the perfect opportunity, you know, you're going to have to probably jump uh, before you're perfectly ready. And like you said, figure it out as you go. And uh, I think that's, that's, that's part of it, you know? Um, well, I think it's so important to understand, and this just is good life advice, that basically anything that you do in life, you are going to suck at the first time you do it. It doesn't matter what it is. Like you are, you are going to suck. And people seem to believe that they should be good at something or they should have you know, natural talent or it should be in their DNA or in their mm -hmm. blood. They're just a natural at these things. Listen, I have struggled for everything that I have ever received in my life. Everything. Like, <laughs> everything. Nothing comes easy to me. I just work harder than anybody else. Like, I work nonstop all day, every day to make my dreams come true. And, and traveling and living overseas and understanding these types of things, you're going to suck at it at first. You're going to suck at it. You're going to spend more money than you should. You're going to get ripped off. You're probably mm -hmm. going to get robbed by a taxi driver, all these different things. Don't worry about it. It all comes with experience. It's okay. Like you said, Mike, jump in, dive in. Because just reading about it armchair is not really going to help you. Like The amount that you're going to learn from doing your first trip or moving overseas your very first time, you, you can't read about that. Like I do believe in, in trying to prepare and educate yourself. Education and self-education is big proponents of my message. But you're right. At some point, you need to jump in, and, and that's really where you're going to learn. Agreed. I mean, it's been exciting. Let's talk about some of the, some of the things here. Um, you're, you just, we've been really excited to talk about your new book, The Expat Secrets. And you know, um, maybe give us a little bit of an over, overview of that. Yeah, so what I've done with this book is I try to take really complex ideas and make them as simple as possible. I, I think that there is a, and we've talked about this many times, um, you know, back and forth, Mike, clarity yeah. is king. Exactly. You know, I think that, I, I, like, I'm, I really believe in this. You know, I could write a book which has every single detail in, in 20 years of experience of, of, of living overseas and try to put it into one book. It would be the size of a phone book or maybe multiple phone books, but no one's going to want to read that. You know, that's not, that's not doing anyone a service. So what I tried to do was highlight the key things that people need to understand to internationalize their life, to lower their tax bills, um, in a lot of cases, eliminate their tax bills and, you know, invest and make money overseas so that they can travel, so that they don't have these type of restraints that a lot of people would normally um, have, you know? So we talk about a lot of things like overseas banking, offshore banking, um, offshore company formation, doing it in a tax-favorable manner. And I will preface it saying that this is all completely legal. I'm not talking about, you know, doing anything that's against governments. 
Although, like I said earlier, I am a hardcore libertarian and I do believe that we need less government, I still follow the laws that are the laws of the land. I do not want to get thrown in a cage, mm-hmm. though I never recommend things that are not legal. But, um, but there are a lot of ways that you can do this and strategies and tips and tricks that, uh, that you can re- remove or eliminate or, or reduce your tax bill. And I, I have firsthand experience doing these types of things. Um, a lot of my very close friends are lawyers and CPAs, things that I don't know or understand. I went direct to the source. Um, I work with some of the most famous uh, asset protection lawyers in the world, um, guys who, tra- who charge you know, $1,000, $2,000 an hour for their time. Uh, freely give it to me because we're very close friends. So the book is very well researched, very well thought out. Um, and it's a fun read, I would say, you know, like I said, it's not overwhelming. You know, I tried to pack as much punch into 150 pages that I could. Um, you know, it'll take you an afternoon to read it and it should, uh, my, my objective is to really open your eyes to what is out there in the world and, and the ways that you can do it and, and then give you all the resources for where you can follow up based on, on what you need next. You know, if you need to understand more about the real estate side, we have a whole bunch of extra resources that are go with the purchase of your book and you can get them all free. Um, You know, you just put in your name and email address and they're all downloadable and you have them instantly. But if that doesn't speak to you, if, if something else in the book does, you get those ones instead. So I tried to tailor make it for the individual reader's needs. And, and so far, the response has been phenomenal. Um, like you mentioned, it's a number one bestseller. I think it spent 11 weeks in the United States as a number one bestseller. And uh, yeah, people can pick up a copy on Amazon. You just search Expat Secrets, or if you go to expatsecretsbook.com, um, it'll redirect you directly to, to the site. And yeah, I encourage you to pick up a copy. Great. Yeah, definitely. Definitely won't recommend checking it out. And I think it's, I mean, we're, you know, I think we're both, you know, on a similar track and this is, this is the future. I think less, I feel, you know, governments are trying to hold on and especially banks in my world in Asia and Hong Kong and business, it's, they're just trying to hold us back and I feel, but uh, yeah, it's just that uh, it's great that you and you're sharing this information and, and creating this, these resources to help people kind of at least break as free as possible and, and live the life that I think humans should live. Right. Yeah. Well, the less government interfe- uh, intervention interference that we have in our lives, the more prosperous we're going to be. Now, you know, you have these, these people in the United States right now who want to do, you know, top, top income tax at 70%. Well, I'll tell you, you're going to have so much capital flight in a country like that, mm-hmm. that it's just going to cripple the place. And, and, and they think that they're helping. And, and we have seen, it is, it is scientifically proven that socialism and communism don't work. And the fact that we're now getting this in North America, it, it's really scary. It's really terrifying. And it has to do with governments, big banks, big corporations, this crony capitalism that I talked about before and mainstream media. And, and we really have to do everything in our power to fight against this and to take personal responsibility for our lives and our finances and our situation and, and work very hard um, to fight these types of things. And like I said before, 
I will, I will obey the law of the land because I do not want to be thrown in a cage, but it is my right to do everything in my power to pay zero taxes. And like we say, like starve the beast, you know, every dollar that you give them is, you know, these are bombs that are being dropped on villages. These are, these are wars that are being fought with your dollars. This is not money that is going to, you know, feed the homeless and things like this or repair the roads. Repair the roads is the, this funny one that I get from people every time I talk about taxation. There's, it's like, yeah. if you look at, at the spending of a country, the road work is like one fraction of 1%. But if you look at defense spending, you know, you're talking massive amounts of the national, def or national budget. So it's, it's things like this that uh, really drive me every day to try to help educate people and try to push people in a manner where they can be more self-sustaining and build their own business and be responsible for their own lives, if that makes sense, Mike. Totally understand. I, I've watched some you know, videos where uh, federal income tax in the U.S. goes just to the, just to the federal bank or something. I don't know. I don't want to be quoted. I, you know, I don't think like, yeah, definitely – definitely federal income tax doesn't seem to go to the roads and to the schools right from what i understand i i uh, i you know i feel uh feel similar that a lot of this doesn't go to the where we at least i will speak for myself should go and uh well look at countries like singapore look at countries like hong kong these countries are booming and they had smaller governments and more libertarian governments and they went from swamps like Singapore was a swamp to now one of the richest countries in the world. They have more millionaires per capita than I think any other country in the world. Their GDP per capita is highest in the world. Uh, they have the strongest passport in the world. It's like the less government you have, the, the better. Um, the more government, the worse off the country is. Like, We've tried every other philosophical idea for running a country except libertarianism. And I really want to see this put in place. And I, and I don't know if we will ever get a truly libertarian country, but um, if we do, I will definitely be moving there as an expat. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating interview and I'm glad we got you onto the show and definitely I recommend people check out your podcast, your book. We'll link these all up in the show notes as well. And any, any last things you'd like to, to share? I think we got the link to the book and your, your podcast and blog is expatmoneyshow.com. And yeah, so if people like the ideas that we've been talking about today, I do encourage you to go out and pick up a copy of the book. Um, I have been told it's, it's quite, a, quite a disruptive book. Um, there is a lot of lawyers and people out there who are a little bit angry that I'm giving away a lot of these secrets for free or for the whatever, $10 or $20, the cost of the book. But um, yeah, pick that up on Amazon and check out my podcast, uh, expatmoneyshow.com. I do weekly interviews. I've had people like Jim Rogers, Doug Casey. Um, you, Mike, were a guest on my yeah. show. Lots of really yes. yeah. fantastic people. That was a fun interview. So yeah, uh, I enjoyed yeah. that. come well, over, check it out. And uh, if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me on the website. And I'm here, I'm here to help. Great. Thanks so much for sharing on the show today. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Are you looking to grow your international business from Asia? Amazon FBA, import, export, and cross-border e-commerce are trends in today's world, especially here at Global From Asia. 
and we put together an e-course e-book both actually all together for you for free with some fast track getting you going global from asia check it out at globalfromasia.com ebook you'll get the book as well as an interactive e-course that will be catered based on how you answer the email series so i look forward to seeing you on the inside check it out globalfromasia.com ebook Thank you for that great interview, Mikkel, and I hope you listeners enjoyed that. I always get some also mixed feedback. Some people don't like the Amazon content. They say there's there's uh, enough of that out there. They like the China, the Asia interviews, the stories. Thanks for that feedback from listeners. So my turn to do the blah, blah, blah. Some of y'all like this, and it's at the end, so I can get away with doing the blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay, so how did I become an expat? I never really, actually, I had to change the show name. I called it Digital Nomad, how I became a digital nomad. But uh, we were discussing the show, and uh, before the interview, it says it's more expat. I feel like expat means, like, you're on a package. Um, You know, you're on, like, a corporate overseas endeavor, and the company's paying your way. Maybe that's what it is. I think it really stands for expatriate. Um, But I never really considered myself that. But I think if you're here for the long term, here or there, or was that Dr. Seuss here, there, everywhere? But it's true. If you are are nowhere or not in your home country, you're an expat, especially if you're there for the long term. And yeah, I I guess I'm not a digital nomad. Maybe I never really was. I spent almost 10 years in China and over a year now almost in Thailand with hopefully many more to go. I plan to be a permanent expat. There's definitely challenges with that, but I said at the intro I talk about how I became an expat or how I came overseas. I think we talked about it, but you know, I was a Wall Street guy. I had my Series 7 and 63 NAS, NASD, I think, NASDAQ or NAS. Uh, license. I did the tests and I was a broker. Honestly, I didn't really make trades. I was more of a relaying trades. I was a trading assistant or I moved up the chain to become a trading assistant on a distressed debt or junk bond desk at Deutsche Bank, a Germ- Bank of Germany in German it means, uh, on 60 Wall Street at JP Morgan building that DB bought. And, uh, but I always wanted, actually, I don't want to say expat, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know probably what the word meant. I thought I had to get an MBA. I thought I had to learn how to start a company and had to get like some kind of a license or education. And I thought I had to work for a few years. I thought I had to then get into MBA school. And then I thought I had to like learn and meet people on how to start a business. Man, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, maybe I still don't know what I'm doing. But I think, like Mikkel says, you just got to do it. Um, so I was selling on eBay back in 2004 and led up to, you know, my own website. And t- also in 2004, but got better at it in 2005. And just making so many mistakes on how to do that. But then led me into buying from Chinese factories, making huge mistakes. And then uh, quit the job to San Diego, so still wasn't an expat, had a buddy, Peter, I don't think he, he reads the blog, my personal blog, but I don't think he listens to the show, but Peter had a place out in Ocean Beach, San Diego, 2007, so I was like, hey, I'll head out there, it had an extra space for me, 400 bucks a month, two blocks from the beach, awesome, near Dog Beach, for those that know 
Ocean Beach, OB. And I got bored there, seriously. I mean, it's beautiful, but it was boring. Like, I was sitting in a coffee shop. The coffee, I didn't like, I'm not a fan of Starbucks. I like the locals. So the local lady was mom and pop. She just said, you, I got to put your name on this seat. Because I guess, I don't know if she was almost annoyed. I seriously probably got there in the morning and worked until the afternoon. And, you know, I bought some food and coffee. I don't know. There's another story. I think I talked about that last show about how the coffee shop in Huahin didn't even want to serve me or didn't want me to plug in at least. Anyway, took a trip to China. Didn't think I would live there and was just blown away. I mean, it was just insanity. I uh, have upset some Chinese friends because I thought it would be like rice paddies and uh, dirt roads. I, I don't, I know, I'll. I won't speak for all Americans, but I'll speak for myself. I had no idea it was this developed. And I was like, man, there's just so much happening here, so much to learn, so much I don't know. And uh, made my four-week trip into five weeks and in October into November 2007. And then came home. Well, I was homeless. I had already kind of canceled my room in San Diego and went back to Florida where my parents had retired. And I was like, Mom and Dad, I'll hang out here with your with you guys for Christmas but uh you know I'm not going back to New York San Diego was kind of boring I spent four or five months there I'm not living in Florida I don't know maybe it would be cool now but I'm going to China and I remember there was some discussions over the holiday and I took a flight to China 2007 2007 directly into Shenzhen I flew into Hong Kong but like many here took a cross-border van I think that was maybe the first time I had done that. I got so lost. I remember Melissa, my assistant. I should get her on a show. Can you believe she's married? She has a Chinese husband. She's Chinese. And she lives in uh, South Africa now. Her husband works for Huawei. And they have a office there. So she's in South Africa. She brought me an awesome like ostrich egg when I was living in Shenzhen when she came back. But maybe get her on the show. But anyway, I was totally, totally lost. And got into hotels and... Wasn't sure how long I would be here in China. And uh, it was maybe at least a few weeks in hotels in different parts of Shenzhen, looking at apartments, figuring out how to set up a company. Told many, so many mistakes. Actually, it's kind of hopefully I helped some people on this show, but I thought I had opened up a mainland Chinese company, but I got advised and I paid a few thousand dollars for that knowledge from a lawyer to open a Hong Kong company first and then open a Chinese subsidiary under the Hong Kong company. Basically, all this stuff I had no idea, and I was just kind of balancing information I got from, I don't know if we call them expats or uh, drinking enthusiasts at the local bar, foreigners. I met some very colorful people in my days uh, in China, or there's many of those expats that, especially me, I was kind of at the end of it in 2007, but there was people that made a living doing a couple of trades you know, buying and selling from Chinese factories and making a decent margin in the middle and then just enough beer money for a month and food and then get another deal. Um, but that was already going away when I got into China. I felt like the easy days of trading were going away already. But I was collecting information from those guys. I mean, they were smart. They had been there 10 years already. I don't want to name names. Great people. Uh, but do a shout out to Mike Bellamy from Passage Maker. He gave me some amazing advice. He also inspired me quite a bit. He's been on the show a couple of times. But I had no idea. I didn't. I mean, I thought I actually I booked my return ticket to uh, the, lo- the longest. Uh, I used Continental Airlines. I had points or whatever. 
for my Vegas trips when I worked in New York City. But uh, I I booked a return ticket because it was like so much cheaper than a one way. So I booked my return for like June 2008. So I was like, I'll hang out here for eight, six months and I'll see what happens. See what happens. Um, if I had known I'd been here 10 years, I would have done so many different things. That's the tricky part. If you know you're going to be somewhere a long time, buy real estate. I, I don't know. It just seems like the trend I have seen everywhere I've been in Hoboken, New Jersey, if I had bought, you know, if I five years. Well, I live in New York anywhere, but I never have bought real estate, unfortunately. seems like everywhere I go, the prices go up. But I didn't know. I didn't know I would be there. Six months turned into, you know, I, I took that return ticket in June. I had a rented apartment, but I was willing to lose the deposit. You know, you can lose the deposit. You don't... You, you uh there was no airbnbs then so i just booked a uh one-year lease at a place in nanshan district of shenzhen that building's still there the last time i saw but there was everything else was getting built around. i was in sida dasha kind of near shaka walmart for those that know that area kind of near uh hayabaihua kind of near haiwong dasha but yeah basically um for 10 years I was learning and there was so much to learn and hopefully I've shared some of this knowledge in these blah blah blahs or with guests on these interviews but that's how I became an expat and we've talked about this with other shows and in my blah 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 but you know when do you go back to your home country when is that reason that announcement uh, I've been getting lots and lots of friends saying they're going back to the states it's usually the triggers the kids. Like, honestly, it's even been passing through my mind lately, you know. You really have to almost fight. You have to go against everything to stay outside your home country when you have kids. It seems like that's definitely a huge challenge to be an expat overseas. There's these international schools everywhere that charge tw- like twenty to 25000 U.S. dollars per year for kindergarten. And they're full. And some of them have waiting lists. So... Man, I should open a kindergarten and charge $25,000 a year for kindergarten. That is insanity to me. I mean, yeah, that's insane. I have 50 grand for me. So a lot of times expats leave because they don't want to pay $50,000 for their two kids to go to play uh, number blocks and uh, Legos. So, yeah, but when is that? I mean, that is usually a trigger when people go back, but... For me, that's how I became an expat. My first year, I extended, you know, I feel finished a lease. I switched. I rented offices. There's so much stories. I have a book on Amazon about some of this called Destination China. It's like six bucks on Kindle, I think, if you want to read the whole detail. I don't, it's just too much to put in the 10-minute blah, 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 which we just hit on my Audacity recording software. But I think the point of today's show is... There's never going to be a right time to become an expat, to break out of your mold, to break out of the 9 to 5, you know, to break out of your normal, what your parents, what your friends expect you to do. So it'd be really cool if this show somehow influenced somebody to take that jump and to take that chance. And what's the worst, really, honestly, what's the worst that could happen? You spend a year overseas, maybe even get a job overseas, or you're doing, you try to do your Amazon, or you try to do whatever, and then you go back and get another job. Maybe you go back to the same company, and you probably have so much more feed experience. And that MBA I never took, I think this is a much more valuable experience than an MBA. 
I don't think there's any question in my mind, and most others would agree. So I hope uh, you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you, and thank you, Government HK, sponsoring, supporting this show. We've come back now for a couple of months. I hope everybody's enjoying the new shows, and uh, I'm going to go hang out with my kids again, watch some YouTube cartoons. Yippee. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.